the typical economic recession comes around every you know, 10, maybe 15 years or so, possibly in one right now. Uh, but with the future, when we look at climate shocks, we could be getting a recession every two or three years. Uh, and the, the market may simply not be able to handle that. As if inflation, supply chain issues, and the pandemic weren't putting enough strain on the economy and people's bank accounts, there is another factor more recently recognized as a possible cause of recession, extreme weather. How big a risk is it? What can companies and governments do to mitigate it? And is there anything individuals can do to lessen their financial exposure to the risk? This is The Backdrop, a UC Davis podcast exploring the world of ideas. I'm Satirius Johnson. Paul Griffin is Distinguished Professor at the UC Davis Graduate School of Management. He's a leading international authority in accounting, financial information, and disclosures, and he's been studying the impact of extreme weather on company stock returns. Thanks for coming on to The Backdrop, Paul. Thank you very much. So your studies have found that American companies are ignoring the risks of climate change, and that could result in a devastating recession. What exactly did you study, and how did you come to that conclusion? Well, um, you're absolutely correct. Climate risk uh, is very important uh, to financial markets. And there's plenty of evidence, including my own, uh, that the markets don't fully appreciate the, the seriousness or the severity of that risk. And as events occur uh, over time, and particularly events into the future, which could be more severe and more frequent, um, those risks are going to be uh, have to be adjusted for by the markets. And if they're if they're unusual or unexpected, there could be a real shock to the market, which could drive the market uh, way down uh, into uh, sort of bear territory, um, potentially. Uh, causing shocks throughout the economy, and then potentially you can get a recession. Now, to the extent that uh, you get recessions, they come around, you know, the typical economic recession comes around every you know, 10, maybe 15 years or so, mm -hmm. possibly in one right now. Uh, but with the future, when we look at climate shocks, we could be getting a recession every two or three years. Uh, and the, the market may simply not be able to handle that. And so that's that's a, that's the risk that we face here uh, and the risk that has yet to be fully addressed by financial regulators, by firms, by uh, other other folks uh, that are part of the equation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are some of the risks that you identify and how do you quantify the risk? Uh, well, the, there, are, there are different kinds of risks with, with climate. This one is the sort of the pure environmental risk, and that's what you mentioned like earlier on, the extreme weather, and these things are getting, again, more frequent, more severe. So that's sort of one kind of risk that's going on there. Um, th there's another risk in terms of um, this, this general concept of emissions uh, that are being produced by firms, by organizations, and so forth. Uh, and are those emissions fully recognized by the financial markets? And there's, there's, there's plenty of evidence, again, not, not just my own, but others, um, indicating that the emissions are not fully appreciated. So that's just another risk uh, that's related to, but not but separate from uh, extreme weather. Um, and particularly in the area, what's called the scope three emissions, that's the emissions that you generate by driving your car, for example, the emissions that are generated by getting goods to the market on the shipping, you know, cargo ships and so forth. Um, those those uh, emissions are, are <laughs> almost unknown or completely 
completely foreign to to a lot of investment community. Uh, so that's so that's a second risk. That's mm-hmm. the emissions risk. There's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a third risk, uh, and that is it's more like the transition to to net zero. Uh, it is how do we get rid of of or how do we deal with uh, assets on the balance sheets that are sort of very uh, carbon intensive um, and how do we reprice those? It's a concept of called stranded asset risk in the literature. Uh, so that's another risk. Um, there's the liability risk. What, when, when, when are the floods, floodgates going to open in terms of allowing individuals, allowing um, uh, uh, other people, shareholders to sue firms for for a lack of understanding or lack of really protecting their investments through climate risk. So that's there's a litigation risk. Uh, and there's a there's another risk, and that is, <laughs> will the policymakers get it right? You know, we'd hopefully they will that they'll, they'll they'll institute the correct policy, but they could get it wrong. And in fact, so they could actually make matters worse before they make matters better. So there's a multitude of risks there. Um, the, the, the sort of the the takeaway on all of that is that markets do not fully yet appreciate the totality of those risks. That's the issue, I guess, in a nutshell. Right. And so I guess what you're doing is you're, you're applying kind of a very established, I don't know what, actuarial science to this problem. And they're basically saying we just don't know what numbers to plug in, but the risk is there. Yeah, I mean, we're using the best tools that we have available in terms of research designs and, and econometrics and so forth. Um, and the idea is to try to try to account for everything else that could be causing these outcomes, these these events, these consequences, um, and then and then relate the, whatever is left um, to things which relate to climate. Uh, so you might look at extreme events on a particular day and say, well, what's what's going on in the marketplace with, with respect to extreme events, allowing for everything else that could be happening in the marketplace. Um, so, so essentially what we're doing is trying to use the best tools available uh, and to to uh, set up designs designed to identify that particular uh, effect uh, and that what potentially is most likely cause of that effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there certain sectors of the economy that are more vulnerable than others to climate risk? Uh, uh, yes and no. It depends. It depends on. The nature of the risk. Remember, I talked about the the, the different kinds of risks that, that are available there. So, right. so if you're in the energy sector um, and you've got a whole bunch of uh, reserves, uh, oil and gas reserves, uh, you're going to be exposed to what's called the stranded asset risk because those those reserves could be worthless uh, if if fossil fuels are essentially outlawed. Uh, so that's that would that would be affecting uh, your sectors like the oil and gas and energy sector. Um, but if you if you're in uh, even a, a large bank, a large financial institution, they could be exposed to a whole whole different kinds of risk because they have a trillion dollar asset portfolio of loans to businesses, and those businesses are exposed to different kinds of risks. So the banks themselves would be exposed through you know through the risks to their loans that that would relate to to the risk uh, to the bank. Um, and, uh, you know, you could be a firm, uh, located in a, in a very climate vulnerable area. And so you could be exposed more so than other firms to extreme weather risk. So it varies, uh, you know, quite a bit depending on the risks are, and, and also varies based on the, ex- the extent to which firms have taken steps, you know, to mitigate, um, some firms are, do, are doing a better job than others, for example. So, um, 
hopefully that's uh, responsive to your question. Right, right. Well, can, can you kind of give us kind of a, a realistic example of how how this could go down? So let's say, I don't know, you can just choose whatever sector you'd like to choose, whether it's, uh, say, real estate along the coasts or, you know, oil companies yeah. or things like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one example that often comes up is, is, the, is the location of refining facilities uh, on the Gulf. Um, and of course, you've got you know, these, these massive storms coming on the Gulf that could be getting worse over time. Uh, so you've got a lot of facilities exposed. And so can you move those facilities or can you harden those facilities relative to the, to, you know, the, the hurricanes that come in on the Gulf, uh, which, again, seem to be increasing in frequency and intensity? So that, that would be one. Um, and and two, uh, just looking at our local situation here, um, we're subject to uh, in, increasing numbers of wildfires uh, and wildfire smoke and and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, those are risks that uh, firms in the western states uh, have to take on. Uh, and the question is whether whether they would want to diversify away or harden their facilities relative to the increased wildfire risk that they're facing. Again, wildfire risk, there's plenty of evidence that, that, that a good portion of that relates to uh, uh, climate change or climate change-related issues. And so I would think that companies would want to you know, figure out what the risks are so they could plan for them. You're saying some companies are doing a better job of that than others. Uh, yes, that's correct. What is your solution to kind of help uh, mitigate these risks as far as uh, the market goes? I, I, I think you've been suggesting that there should be required disclosures, that companies have to disclose that kind of information to uh, potential investors. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are a lot of channels uh, that are sort of working to uh, make people more aware of that risk, businesses more aware of the risk to take actions now to mitigate or to minimize. Um, so you can think in terms of, of transparency through disclosure, which is the point that you mentioned. And so there's a big effort right now uh, at the SEC uh, to require firms to disclose a lot about their emissions and about their carbon footprint. However, there's a backlash going on right now, uh, and it's not clear to me whether the SEC will actually be successful later on the year in actually implementing. And if they do, uh, the implementation could be delayed years uh, to allow firms to get ready for the transition. Uh, so there's a disclosure side of it. Um, there's the threat of the courts and the judicial judicial system to, to um, uh, I guess, discipline firms or act as a potential you know, sort of a factor that firms have to consider when they do because of the p- threat of litigation. So that's another element of it. The courts have been pretty slow. Uh, they've tended to defer to the uh, legislative process versus the courts, but yeah, that can change. Um, there's plenty of lawsuits right now that are sort of working their way through the courts that that uh, that's, uh, could change. Um, and then there's just the general habits of of consumers and people out there in terms of what they do and what they how they act in terms of buying carbon intensive products versus not buying carbon intensive products. So, um, so there's that. There's also the ability uh, of governments, uh, United States elsewhere, to tax emissions. Right, put a carbon tax system in so that things that are emission intensive are more expensive uh, and therefore would drive the demand down. So a lot of diff- a lot of tools out there. Um, one of the things that does require is, is a coordinated effort ac- across all of these tools. And it's, not, it's not just coordinated at the country level, 
but it's, it's got to be coordinated globally. And this, this is a, a very tough problem uh, because you've got to get the global regulators together, right? And you put them together in Paris, uh, which they did a few years right, back. You right. might recall that. Uh, and everybody made promises to, to reduce their, their emissions. Uh, but those promises, there's plenty of evidence to suggest those promises haven't been kept. Um, at least they're they're uh, not being kept at the level perhaps they said they would they would uh, a few years back. So, lots right. of issues there. Uh, uh, tough tough issues actually to to handle and to solve. Are there any other countries that are doing a better job of this on their own as opposed to what we're doing here in the U.S.? Um, hard hard really to know that because each country has in its interest to indicate that it's doing the best job possible because it, it's becomes political in terms of the country. Um, so we don't really know, and it's actually difficult to compare country A to B uh, because we don't yet have what, what we call fully standardized metrics. And each company's reporting system, it would not be quite the same. So it's actually difficult to put everybody in a horse race to see who's winning and who's losing. Mm-hmm. So how does climate risk compare to other risks when it comes to causing a possible recession? I mean, is there a way to compare the risk, I guess, as far as when companies are uh, weighing costs, benefits, and, and uh, how seriously to take this? Well, I mean, if, if you go back to uh, you know, the, what we call the Great Recession of 2007 and to 2008, mm-hmm. um, I don't think uh, uh, regulators, policymakers, legislators, they, I don't think they were talking about you know, that recession being related to climate risk. Um, but since then, uh, the evidence is becoming more and more overwhelming, and not just through the research that professors do, but through uh, intergovernmental panels, for example. Um, so that evidence is mounting. And so these risks in the next, maybe not this current one that we potentially will have, but you know, over the next 10, 20 years, these, these risks are going to be front and center of, of factors that are, are, are causative uh, in, in those recessions or in those disruptions of the economy, which potentially could relate to and end up as a recession. I believe you published your first study on this in 2016, before the pandemic, before supply chain problems, before the war in Ukraine. So what have you learned since then to fine-tune your conclusions? And do these recent disruptions make climate risk even riskier? Well, like, just going back, um, some, of the, some of the first work I did actually goes back to about 2010-11. Uh, and there's, all, there's essentially a sort of a lag in some of the publications. So some, sometimes you, the work will be done, but the, the publication lag could be several years. But, but looking at where we are today, um, yes, you have these unexpected events, you know, the war in Ukraine, and we have supply chain crisis and so forth. Um, and those potentially you know, will come up again, but hopefully not quite often. But what's not going to go away are the risk of climate change. And what's not mm-hmm. going to get any easier until you know, there's, there's concerted action globally, uh, these climate risks. And uh, there's, there's plenty of evidence that there's a lot of legislatures, a lot of um, country re- regulators essentially kicking the can down the road because the, you get these competing interests. Uh, we'd like to deal with climate change now, but 
we've got a gasoline crisis. And so you've got that competing interest in terms of producing more gasoline to satisfy that demand, but that's going to increase emissions, not decrease, which is what you, what you need to do uh, to address the climate crisis. Uh, so it's, <laughs> again, uh, it's, it's a really tricky issue, but you know, the war will go away eventually, but climate change will not. So as we, as a world, um, stumble toward trying to solve the climate change problem, what can individuals do, individual investors or institutional investors do to minimize their exposure to climate risk until something can be done on a wider scale? Well, it gets back to awareness and education and, and awareness of, of the consequences of your action. Um, you know, one thing I've thought about, and I don't, I'm not sure why it, never, it hasn't yet occurred, but wh- why doesn't everybody have an, have an app on their phone? Uh, and that app is simply recording th- their footprint, their carbon footprint on a day-to-day basis. So people are aware regularly as to what they're doing and what, what their actions are implying in terms of carbon. Um, there's plenty of ways to do that in terms of measuring things, um, having a connection to satellite, uh, for example, having a connection to your use of energy uh, you know, in the house or in the car and so forth. Um, so there's things like that, which I think uh, is a, a technology form of solution, but would certainly make people aware. And awareness would lead to further knowledge and, or deeper knowledge, uh, and I think uh, broader knowledge as well across you know, the entire population, across the entire globe, if possible. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as requiring disclosures from companies about their carbon footprint and, and other you know, uh, factors that go into risk, um, how likely do you think it is that anything like that will become a required uh, part of uh, their business? Well, it it'll it, it will eventually happen. It'll have to happen because otherwise the businesses won't survive. So survival will eventually drive a solution. Uh, the issue becomes as to what the timing of that solution is, and so the 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 longer the the more delay in getting that solution in place, the more costly it will be. Um, yet. Some of those costs are not the costs that affect us on a day-to-day basis. They're longer term, they're, and they're sort of more subject to maybe some, some, some subjectivity. Um, so that's the issue: is that eventually it'll have to be dealt with. Uh, you know, we've we've got the survival at stake, um, and particularly you know in in countries that are less you know, well privileged than say the United States and elsewhere. Uh, so it has to be done. Uh, the issue is driving a solution a little bit faster than what we're looking at today in terms of the various governments all over the world trying to deal with it. I mean, it sounds like like it's the same quandary with climate change itself, that the crisis is coming. The crisis is here and it's coming, but we tend to not come up with a solution until after there have been very big sometimes cataclysmic repercussions. Well, I mean, but there's that, and then there's all these things that get in the way, you know, like uh, just go back to our earlier discussion, the Ukraine war got in the way, right? So we, we, were, we were potentially on a good, a good pathway uh, up until that point. Um, and um, a supply crisis, a supply chain crisis got in the way. 
Um, and so somehow or other, we, we, need a, we need a sort of a period of rel relative stability with respect to other, other types of things. Uh, and then the policy, uh, the implementation of policy perhaps could go more smoothly with less, less sort of uh, you know, diversions or turnarounds or offshoots and so forth. So before we go, um, what are you looking to study next? Are you um, looking to continue your work in this area? Is there any other um, kind of offshoot that you're looking to study more deeply? Yeah, um, several things going on right now, um, and most of this is sort of ongoing research. Uh, publications could could be later on. Uh, but certainly the issue of what's called scope three emissions is, is hugely important. Um, we need we need uh, consistent comparable measures. We need firms to be on board in terms of getting these uh, carbon footprints uh, done for their firms. Um, it, what's interesting about this is the if you look at the private equity activity, uh, just in the past two years, uh, it's about a billion dollars gone into private equity to deal with. Uh, what's called carbon accounting solutions, like carbon footprints for firms and so forth. So, uh, so I'm hopeful that some of that will pay off, uh, and firms will um, acquire you know, ways to address these particular issues. So that's 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 one thing. Um, the second thing is really on the pace of innovation, which it gets relates to the uh, PE investment in in carbon solutions. So how is innovation going? How much innovation is in sort of green innovation um, and and how successful is that or is that likely to be and is it green innovation displacing some sort of more traditional innovation so innovation is kind of lifeblood of, of an economy a particularly capitalistic economy so keeping an eye on that is one thing I'm interested in and, and potentially uh, we will be looking at that in, in some detail. Right. And I guess when it comes to these companies, I would think that they really probably need to be prodded a little bit by government regulators because a lot of these companies really are working quarter to quarter. They want their bottom lines to look good, um, even though maybe the long term picture should be looked at more more closely. Well, I mean, well, that's true. I mean, there's a there's a sort of short-termism bias uh, in many forms of business. So we could ex we could extend that bias to you know, firms presenting a longer-term vision you know, of where they hope to go. Um, certainly do that. But um, again, if you focus on the innovation, innovation is often something that you do now and it could pay off you know, for decades. And so uh, to the extent that you can do that, um, you could bring about benefits of green innovation uh, that provides a huge incentive to profit by way of helping the, the economy become greener. So that, that would be a nice way to align incentives versus mm -hmm. uh, you know, putting that aside and just focusing on the next quarter's earnings. How is your message being received by the private sector and by policymakers? Um, they're interested. They're sort of they're slow. I think they're slower than some of us would like to to act. But they certainly uh, are aware of these issues. They're aware of what what the research is. Um, they are uh, considering uh, you know plans and strategies. Um, but there's there's not the sort of groundswell yet of. Uh, sort of momentum to to move large sectors of the economy. Uh, you know, on the one side, you've got the, you've got the BlackRock uh, folks uh, that are pushing through the boardroom to get 
firms to be greener. But on the other side, you've got uh, sort of a, an opposing movement right now that's gaining attention, saying, uh, going back to really to the Milton Friedman line, you know, let businesses make profits and they'll make profits in the best way possible and that'll protect the environment. But um, you've got these two opposing um, trends right now. Uh, and and again, uh, it could play out politically uh, in the SEC um, proposal for climate disclosure for firms and also the new one that just came out, climate disclosure for uh, mutual funds. So that's a new one that just came out a few weeks ago. And I guess you, you often hear this argument that, well, the market will figure it out, but that's what recessions are, right? The market figuring things out, but it can be a very painful thing for a lot of people. Well, that's what we don't want. That, uh, that's I, I think at the outset, that's what that's what you, you indicate. I, if I indicated, we don't want we don't want the market to learn in the most painful way. Uh, we'd rather have orderly transition rather than disruptive transition. And uh, right now, uh, to the extent we're not doing enough, the transition to to net zero, whatever it would, would be, twenty fifty, is more likely to be a whole bunch of disruptions. We'll get there eventually. We have to. Uh, but we'd rather get there in a, in a cost-efficient way rather than a very messy way. Well, this has been really fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on to The Backdrop. Thank you very much for having me. Paul Griffin is Distinguished Professor at the UC Davis Graduate School of Management. You can find more about his work on our website, ucdavis.edu slash podcast. And if you like The Backdrop, check out our other UC Davis podcast, Unfold. It breaks down complicated problems and unfolds curiosity-driven research, like why songs get stuck in your head, or what real-world engineering concepts you can learn from comic books. Join public radio veteran and host Amy Quinton for Unfold. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Satirius Johnson, and this is The Backdrop, a UC Davis podcast exploring the world of ideas.